0: Welcome to Clit Talk, the pleasure positive podcast. We are creators, leaders, innovators, and teachers redefining the word clit. Because guess what? It's not a bad word. Pussy, pussy.
1: It's gonna be a good one today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about a clit talk, clit talk, clit talk. Talking about a clit talk, clit talk, clit talk. Come on, girls and boys and
0: everyone on the gender rainbow. Bring your pussies to the show. This episode is brought to you by Let's Get Checked In For
2: Your Wellness. Hi, Clitorati. We have a highly recommended guest today who is, Champions honest, judgment-free, and pleasure-based conversations about sexuality that unabashedly center around modern Black women and femmes. She's known for her down-to-earth and relatable delivery... She slays stereotypes and misinfor- misinformation surrounding female sexuality and womanhood, all while holding space for women and femmes to unapologetically live their best sexual lives. Why is she in Klitschak? Um, obviously. So we think the work is doing... She's
1: amazing.
2: amazing. amazing. I literally follow you on Instagram and I think I've been wanting you on the show for so long. I'm very excited. So she has. You've been on Katie's wish list for a while. <laughs> yeah. So the work she's doing is not only sensible, but also valuable education for us all. Please welcome the sensible sex expert, Dr. Windasha Jenkins. Yay! Welcome.
3: Thank you, thank you. Thank we are you. so
2: excited. And we were just talking before, just you know, Clitorati,
1: there this woman is so dedicated to what she does. She, we're on Pacific Standard Time. She's on the East Coast. It's super late where she is and she's still here. That's how amazing this woman is. Let's let's just like jump right into it. Tell us a little bit about your personal story um, and how you really came to be the person who is the sex educator for everyone.
3: Okay. So um, I started in this field when I was like 16 years old. So I've been doing this for about 17 years now. So um I started out in my hometown as um being a peer health educator um with the local there's a local AIDS service organization in my hometown and so I was just trained to do um HIV AIDS education for teenagers. So that's really um how I started and so I was going around um doing that work when I was in high school and then I went away to college. However, when I went to college, um it was my goal to um, really become a lawyer, so I went to school for journalism. So I had mm. I have a degree in journalism and a minor in digital media. So I was going that route. Mm. Then I went okay. for my um, master's um, degree in Baltimore. Um. Really? Oh. Yeah. So, so I was that's, in that's my hometown. <laughs> awesome. That's where I'm from. Oh, it's <laughs> a small world. Wow. And so, um, so it was there um, while I was getting my master's in communications um, that I was reintroduced back into the sex ed world. And that happened because um, I was a graduate assistant. And typically when you're a graduate assistant, you get assigned of assistantship in your department or doing something related to your field. But for some reason, I didn't get that. They put me in the- um,
1: <laughs> Divine intervention, yeah, they maybe? In the, no.
3: yeah, they put me in the counseling center. I, and like, okay. Literally, I was working in the counseling center. I was like, oh, okay, I don't, I'm not getting a degree in psychology yeah, like, or social work, but whatever. <laughs> um, and so as soon as I showed up, they were. they said the first thing you're going to do Um, Is help out with the university um, peer health education program. So I was like, okay, yeah, you know, I have some, I have background in this. So um, I was in charge of helping to run the university's um, HIV/AIDS peer health education program. Also doing a lot of work around um, sexual assault and intimate partner um, violence. So doing a lot of programming for the um, undergrads there, and so doing testing drives, going to First year classes, you know, teaching them um, different things about HIV um, prevention, sexual assault prevention, intimate partner violence prevention. So um, it was there that I rediscovered um, sex ed and just um, more so still in that HIV context. So it was there that I really rediscovered it. And um, it was also then I was like, I don't think law school is something that I want to do. Um, I was really into or getting more into research. So I was like, hey, I think I want to go get my PhD. And I thought I was going to get it in communications, but um, I took a break. Um, I actually was on my way to go to a PhD program in communications, but I stopped and said, OK, I don't think this is um, the route. So I deferred my admissions um, to that program and I worked for a year and I ended up working at Johns Hopkins and their center for communications programs doing um, reproductive health work. And that put me into the wow. international health realm. So um, the region I was working in was in Southern Africa. So working in South Africa, Zimbabwe, doing a lot of um, family planning um, work, also HIV prevention among LGBTQ communities in South Africa. So um, oh, wow. I did that work for about a year and a half. And doing that, I said, okay, I think I need to go back and get my degree in public health because I still wanted to do research, but I knew that public health was more the route that I really probably wanted to go. So I went back to school and I went to North Carolina and that's where I started my um, research. Um, And my research then started looking at sexuality more broadly. Outside of HIV, outside of STIs, outside of those things, because when we talk about sex a lot, we tend to concentrate on that disease prevention. But I was more Mm so um, interested in the social, historical contexts of sexuality and cultural, um, context of sexuality. So I really started looking at hookups. So
2: this is my favorite
1: part about, this
2: yes. <laughs> I talk
1: about your hookup. Let's talk about your hookup research, please. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Tell your PhD thesis. On sexual hookups. It's just. So, yeah. <laughs> are, you, are you
1: not my favorite person? I yeah. think you are. She <laughs> was yeah. on sexual hookups
3: so, yeah, yes. to get her PhD. So, um, <laughs> Amazing. It, it, was, it was interesting because when you're in, we you go into a PhD program, of course, you are expected to um, just establish a research agenda, right? So, everybody has their own project that they're working toward. And I forgot hmm. really how it came to me. I was probably reading something. And then so I went to my advisor and I was like, hey, so hookups apparently are a thing. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, apparently, I know that sounds right. They're apparently a thing. Um, Wait, were they
1: not a thing for you? Well,
3: um, when when I was an undergrad, it, we really didn't call it a hookup. So that, so that was the thing that really um, got me interested in it. Because when I was reading, yeah, okay. you know, when sense. I was reading about hookups and I was n- noticing the demographics, um, it was predominantly, um, research was conducted predominantly on um, white campuses. But then I, you know, I went to a predominantly white university. I went to University of Central Florida, but then I went and got my master's at Morgan State, which is the HBCU, a Historically Black College mm-hmm. University. And the sexual dynamics on those campuses were totally different. And then also, yeah, also when you are a person of color and you go to a predominantly white university, your sexual dynamics and your sexual networks are different. So when we think of this whole concept of hooking up, it's not something that um, is universal, right? And then people who participate in hookups don't do it for the same reasons, right? Also, they don't have the same language around what it means to hook up. So, um, that's when I was really starting to dwell, um, a lot more into, okay, what is this, how are we defining hookups? Like, what is this hookup culture supposed to be? What are the um, mm. definitions around it? So what is, um, what separates a hookup from dating from anything else? And so that's what I really, um, like I dwelled into that and I was particularly looking at black college women. Um, considering that um, at the time, they still are like one of the fastest growing um, populations on college campuses across the U.S. However, when we look at hookups and we think, okay, you have college students going on campus and they're exploring their sexuality, which is what we tend to do when we get out of our parents' house, right? We're free. We don't have those curfews. We don't have all of those things. But what happens if you get on a college campus and that's something you want to do And you're facing a gender ratio disparity. So, if there's more, if you're a straight, um, a straight woman, a straight femme, however you choose to identify, what does that mean? We're on a college Mm -hmm. campus, and you are part of that majority, right? So, how does that change your sexual network, right? What if you um, decide that, hey, I kind of want to be in a monogamous relationship, but because I'm in that majority. What does that do to my sexual network? Do I have to participate in this hookup culture because I want to have a sexual partner? And this is the only way I can. So it was it was a Mm. lot of um, a lot of different things. And so also looking at the desirability of being a black woman on a college campus, if you are going to predominantly white university, what does that mean for you? And um, just mm-hmm. looking at who your partners are and also looking at intentionality behind hookups. So are you hooking up because, hey, this is something I want to do is casual? Or are you hooking up because you're trying to use that as a step in developing a long-term relationship? So there were a lot more, mm-hmm. it's a lot more um, complexities and yeah. also um, understanding that hookup is not a universal term um, that is used by all college students. Um, not the like wow. so the way we were painting it in the literature is that, oh yeah, students know what hookups mean, but there was so much there was just so many different terms that were used, um so many different levels of relationships that take place, so hookup was not this all inclusive term, and people were not hooking up in the same way with the same intentions, so that's basically um mm-hmm. what a lot of my, wow. um research yeah. was around <laughs>
1: what you're saying is I'm um Part of the reason why I wanted to bring you on is like for my own education. Okay. <laughs> and I really appreciate the way that you you talk about it. And it's so thought out. And I've already learned something from you just from what you did in college. I didn't have the regular <laughs> college experience. Okay, so I'm jealous. <laughs> um, And and what you did with your college career, I'm just blown away by who you are. I've never thought of hookup mm-hmm. culture in that way. Yeah.
0: Actually. yeah it, it was it was interesting i went when i yeah. went to college i was uh fully fucking immersed in <laughs> culture
2: <laughs> uh, i might have
0: been one of those people you're researching who knows um i think i made the guinness book of world records for a couple of things
2: <laughs> sugar sugar is also 10 years younger than um me and Lindsay. oh okay i went cool. to i went she to college with katie's husband happened. Yeah,
1: we went they to went musical, musical so it was like not a regular college experience. Oh, okay. We're
2: all like jerking yeah, off but, on our guitar. <laughs> I went to Case Western Reserve University okay. in Cleveland, mm-hmm. and I studied nursing there. And so, I I can relate mm-hmm. to a lot of what you're saying. And I'm curious, what were some of the conclusions that you came to in your PhD?
3: Well, um, what I found in one of my studies is that because you when you do a PhD, you conduct multiple studies. So, um, what I found okay. is that people. So I was looking at um, whether or not people were having um, condomless vaginal sex. So we don't say unsafe sex. We say condomless um, vaginal sex because unsafe is, you know, could be different things. Right. Yeah. Your word. And so, yes. Yeah, so I like we that. found that because uh, yeah. I've been, I've
1: been condomless. Yeah. Times. So because
3: unsafe sex, so <laughs> someone could say, how am I having safe sex? And I, am with my partner, and we've been together long-term, but I'm on birth control, right? I'm using some form of contraception, I think. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, that's why, yeah, yeah. you know, we say condomless. Um, so, right when I found that those who were, um, especially uh, women, looking at um, heterosexual women, if they were, if their intentions were to begin a relationship, so they're interested in having a relationship with their hookup partner they were actually less likely to use condoms in their, um, yes. Mm -hmm. So they were less likely to use condoms as opposed to those who had no intentions of being um, in a relationship with their partner. So I was looking at that intentionality piece. And what it came to find out when I was doing interviews, what it um, came to was just that factor of trust. So, you know, if you are hooking up with a person or you want to be Mm -hmm. in a relationship with that person, you're trying your best to impress and, you know, put upon that person that, hey, you can trust me and you kind of go a little bit above and beyond sometimes. And so that really um, what was going on there. Um, So, but of course, there could be other different reasons why people, like I said, can um, not use condoms. Sometimes say, hey, I'm on birth control. That's not a risk for mine. I get tested a lot. But um, that was also one of the reasons. um, And also what I found in my interviews is that the language behind hooking up. So if you ask a student, have they ever hooked up? Some may say no, because they don't use that language. Or some may say, yes, because Mm. they have a different idea Mm. of what hooking up may actually be. For some people, hooking up is just simply making out with a person who um, I go out and meet them at the bar couple of drinks. We're met out, And yeah, they yeah. will say, hey, I, I hooked up yeah. with such and such last night. Right. However, right. you have some people who do define it as, oh yeah, we met at a party. We went back to our place. We had sex. is a one-time thing. We hooked up. Then you have some people who um, mm-hmm. are in what they call, how to put it, they're talking. So there's like different levels of these things. So, um, I don't know if you,
1: like dirty talking is okay no ho. actually like
3: <laughs> we have people who are in these yes. um pseudo relationships where oh. um they're not quite um exclusive or they're not quite monogamous, but they are quote unquote talking getting to know each other talking that's what it's, they call it talking
2: and, uh, yeah.
0: That's mm-hmm. what I grew up with in middle yeah. school and high school. It would be like, so, I'm talking yeah. to so-and-so. That was a saying we used, yes. was, I'm talking to. So, mm-hmm. And
3: yeah. those relationships can also um, sometimes include sex. Sometimes they don't. Some people call those situationships. And so it just depends, right? So... The language was not the same. Situationship.
1: Situationship. Yeah. Oh my God, I
3: love that. <laughs> so that's what I started. But so that's what I started oh to God. realize is yeah. that the language that we were using around these sexual relationships were just not universal. And so that's where we mm. were running into um, some of the problems is that everybody's not defining hookups the same way. And then speaking to yeah, That's, yeah. and then speaking to um, black women, they were less likely to engage in hookup culture. So they were less likely to engage in these um, casual sex relationships because of the um, the perception and their reputations. They mm. did not want to be seen as being, um, mm. you know, loose or whatever promiscuous around campus. Because they felt like once mm-hmm. that was attached to them, if they did want to start or establish a monogamous relationship in their later college years, that that reputation would follow them on through their college career. Right.
1: So in your research, you found that that black women, that was much more of a concern than women. of Yes. Yeah, so race. it
3: was a, uh, much more of a concern um, for the because just the socialization, um, the socialization around sex is different. A lot of times for um yeah. mm-hmm. for black women. Um, especially yeah. when you're on like college campuses where there are more women than there are men. And so you have mm-hmm. you have this whole idea of competition also for mates on college campuses. If you wanna engage yeah. in that culture, if you don't care mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, whatever, I'm just having fun with my thing, it <laughs> yeah, doesn't yeah. matter, <laughs> right? At the end of the day. Whatever. But if yeah, you are one whatever. of those people who are like, hey, I wanna try to Establish a monogamous, exclusive relationship. You feel you some feel that hey, if I engage in hookup culture, that's that's just a point or some points against me because it's already Got it. um not as many men on campus. So if I sleep with this many and they're in this many um networks, because the black networks on especially predominantly white campuses tend to be smaller, and then when yeah. they're smaller and you have sex with a few people. You're all in the same you're, social like, network. Yeah, yeah, you're more
1: you're more known. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's more shit,
3: known. However, if you're a that, if you're yeah. a, um if you're the majority on campus, you can have sex with somebody, and <sighs> right. like a lot of people, they may not even know each other, right? Because they could be in different social groups on oh. campus. And so, um, so yeah, that's what um I was finding. Oh, so it was it was very.
2: Interesting. Are you the sensible sex sexpert because you use? <laughs> and research yeah. to like diffuse all of your information. Is no. that where that comes from? Did <laughs> I figure it out? <laughs> no, I didn't.
3: No, no well, did the sensible um, part came from that. I was, um, before I even got online and was doing a lot of um, this work, what I did notice about um, a lot of sex ed was that it was not accessible or even approachable to a lot of people. Um, and yeah. that was because sometimes mm. sex educators went over people's heads, right? They were just, they'll come and they'll talk about all these different things and people are like, okay, I don't know what you're talking about. Or what some or what some people said that they weren't um, comfortable with some of the quote unquote raunchiness of um, sex ed. So when I was like different audiences, Some people, you know, are more out there with their sex ed, Mm. which is fine. I like run sometimes, too. Some people are like, oh, it just makes me feel uncomfortable, especially for people who are just now beginning their sexual journeys or their path towards a different um, way of learning and understanding sex. It can be off-putting or intimidating to some people, especially if it's like you jump into a sex ed class and you have dildos everywhere and you have all, you're showing all <laughs> the sex moves. Yeah. Like, you know, you're you're just now trying to earn, uh, learn a lot of things about your sexuality. And you're like, okay, I'm gonna jump into this head class. or Because you know, there's a lot of those are a lot of um, yeah. dick writing classes or whatever. And then they, like, they're like, oh my God, I can't handle any of this. <laughs> like, this is a lot.
1: Ladies, my new Bush Majesty 2 just came in the mail and I am delighted. As you know, I've had a lot of issues with vibrators in the past making me go numb down there, but this one has over 50 different setting combinations, so I was able to find the perfect combination just for me. Plus, you know my new personal pleasure practice is bubble baths with champagne, so you can only imagine my delight when I found out I can take her in the bath with me because she is
2: 100% waterproof. She's also medical grade silicone. So you guys, self-pleasure isn't discussed nearly enough in society and it's affecting our mental health. So pleasure is vital to your well being, And you know, we're here to break the stigma to live that pleasure positive lifestyle. We
0: really love Vush as a company because their mission is the same as Clit Talk.
2: They are our partners in
0: normalizing the way people everywhere speak about self-pleasure. So use our code CLITTALK for 20% off your Bush vibes. Everyone is worthy of more self-love. Products that we authentically believe in and would personally use ourselves. That's why
1: we're so excited to share Dr. Christy Funk's supplements with you. She's my mom's breast cancer doctor and is guiding my entire family to make better lifestyle choices to go with our genetics. I started using them myself and I love the fact that I know that they were created by a doctor who has personally put in the
0: research. So I know it's a quality product that I'm putting in my body. I mean, I'm all about biohacking health and I love to know that I can just have a cocktail and then take one of her Cosmo Companion supplements to offset the negative effects.
2: I'm super excited for her multi-must-have. It's just like an awesome multivitamin. So Clit Talk signed up as an affiliate so that our Clitorati can get 10% off. So if you go to clittalkshow.com backslash discounts and just go there and get a discount.
1: Because we're all going to be using them and so should
2: you. Boom. You're welcome. That's what I love. Like you you really are,
1: you're so, first of all, highly educated and you're really committed to exploring the history of sex, sex education in the United States. And you'd say that you know, you say that society's, you know, one of the reasons why it was really important for us to bring you on the show is because you say that society's concepts of mm-hmm. race and gender have shaped how we approach mm-hmm. sex education. Yeah. Especially and mm-hmm. and you were you're really in a profound way taking a stand for the marginalized mm-hmm. populations. And I'd love I'd love to have that conversation with you because it's really moving and it's it's so needed. Mm-hmm not only in america but all over the world and you're really com- you're really committed to like transforming you know it into like a culturally responsive sex positive
3: mm-hmm. intersexual yeah. practice can can we talk a yeah. little bit about that so yeah um when we think about sex ed in this country a lot of people really don't know how sex ed in this country got started we really only think of it going back probably to the fifties or the sixties because that's when we had those videos coming out—the old school videos, um,
1: <laughs> super awkward <yes>. videos.
3: <laughs> but actually, sex ed as we know it now started really around World War One, when you had a lot of soldiers who went overseas and were fighting. They'll come back. And a lot of them have diseases, what we call VD, okay? So they'll go and they'll come back. They had chlamydia, Mm -hmm. they had gonorrhea, they had syphilis, right? (laughs) And so a lot of our initial sex ed campaigns were built around educating those soldiers, right? And then them coming Mm. back. And of course, they come back. It's like, okay, well, they're having sex with um, their partners here, right? And so if you look at the old, um, if you look at any old sex ed campaigns, you'll see like a, the quote unquote sex worker was like, oh, well, she's deadly too. or it, It's like those types of things. Like, so, you know, yeah. be careful and yeah. all of those things. And so that um, we got, you know, our really initial ideas about sex ed from there. And then when they came back, it really started to be a social hygiene movement. So understanding that Mm. you had these soldiers who were coming back, they had some of them, of course, you get treated for syphilis, gonorrhea, um, chlamydia, you know, HIV was not around at that time. So we weren't thinking about that, but you had this social hygiene movement. And so it really was about living a clean, pure life. That's what we had in the early 20th century and so that's when we had these mm-hmm. campaigns that really started around you know really around VD at the time which is a very old term i, I know some people are like what the hell is vd i've been asked that, like, like we, don't, <laughs> we don't use it anymore right you just don't use it anymore some of
1: it's wait what it's yes, a
3: disease right? but
0: we do not yeah yeah <laughs> i think what i've heard that in like,
3: before right. yeah I mean, but i'm just saying right. we don't you don't use it anymore so it's not something that you know i would never say yeah. oh you yeah. have like you go to the clinic and they'll say oh you have vd and you know people would know that yeah right They'd be like, what? I, yeah. what? back <laughs> then they knew they like yeah.
1: wait but but i've been told i'm not even allowed to say std anymore it's sti so
3: yeah so there's this okay so 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 quick to that, um, I'll just (laughs) say STD. The reason why we don't say STD anymore, because STD, so sexually transmitted disease means that you are in a disease state, right? So that means that you are showing the physical manifestations of having um, chlamydia or gonorrhea or syphilis or HIV. So that means if you have chlamydia or gonorrhea, you may have that, you know, the discharge, the itch. Um, syphilis, you're probably seeing those um, canc- the sores or those rashes, HIV, you're having those acute symptoms, right? However, the reason why we stop using that is because a lot of times when you have chlamydia, when you acquire chlamydia and gonorrhea, it's asymptomatic. You're not showing any symptoms. So, you're not in a disease state. So, you right. have the infection. So, you have a sexually transmitted infection. And so, we want people to continue to go get tested because you can have chlamydia, gonorrhea, um, syphilis. Well, eventually, with syphilis, you're going to show signs and symptoms if you're really paying attention, yeah. um, even HIV. But when you initially get those um, infections, you don't have any symptoms, right? So, people would not go and get tested or they won't go to their doctors because they're like, I'm fine. I'm not itching. I don't have a discharge. I don't have any sores or whatnot. So they would not go get tested. So that's why the language shifted from STD to STI. Got it. But, yeah, it makes that's, sense. But we still that use them interchangeably, sense. so, so mm-hmm. I wouldn't get caught up on that. <laughs> But
1: okay. <laughs> know, no problem. sorry to sidetrack <laughs> But um
3: but back when we were talking really about this like social a social hygiene movement and this idea of being pure and clean and if you were an upstanding individual and you did not have sex until you got married you would not be acquiring any of these um diseases or these infections. So you wouldn't be acquiring, acquiring chlamydia gonorrhea are syphilis because the goal then was you go, you grow up, you get married to your high school sweetheart. Cause a lot, most people weren't going to college, even in the fifties, but your high school sweetheart, you have your 2.5 kids and you sell off into the sunset. And VD was something that was only for sex workers, right? That was something that only people who mm. were promiscuous, um, that was something only like what I know is kind of old language, but um, I don't know if y'all are familiar with the book, the Color Purple.
2: Yeah, <laughs> um, of course.
3: Um, but it's a joke about, you know, having the nasty woman's disease. Right. So, yeah. So if you were out there being nasty, you got okay. a nasty eye. That's what you did. Right.
2: I guess. Yeah. I guess. Yes, yeah, At
3: some point nasty. we are all nasty. <laughs>
2: I'm, I'm not. Well, oh, good for you.
0: <laughs> well, I fucking no shame, no shame
2: in that game.
1: I'm not saving. I just clarify it. I'll be honest. Yeah, it's, I got it's it no shame. Out. And
3: so, when we were thinking about, you know, all of all of these things, one group that was also looked at as being unclean and a camp were um, Black Americans in the U S. And that whole idea and that whole notion of being sexually deviant. Mm and um, being sexually unclean, that was really, those are stereotypes that dated back to slavery. And so that carried on post-slavery into Jim Crow America. And so what African-Americans tried to do at the time to kind of set themselves apart, we had um, the introduction of what we call respectability politics. So really um, trying to appear and dress and act in a certain manner so that you will appear um, respectable in dominant society. And so what ended up happening is we would start to police ourselves and people in our own communities and then start separating ourselves saying I am a respectable black person. I work, I have a family, we're you know upstanding, we're church going and I'm different from those people who live in that area over there who um, gamble and engage in those vices and have sex and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. Because people wanted to set themselves apart yeah. because it's like when you think back to slavery, black bra- bodies were used for breeding. Um, they were used at the disposal of um, their masters or whatnot. So it really was trying to set themselves apart from that, right? right? And so when we were developing yeah. a lot of our campaigns, around sex ed during that time, like I said, it really was about social purity, right? Mm -hmm. And then when you had um, African-Americans, they were still trying to get over those stereotypes that were formed during slavery. However, they were still being looked at as those sexual Um, undesirables are those sexual deviants, right? So really putting, you know, you have that Madonna whore complex, like we always, like you talk about, you have, Mm -hmm. you know, those loose women versus those virtual um, women and femmes. It was kind of the same way with African-Americans. So African-Americans were looked at as sexual deviant as opposed to their white counterparts who were more pure and um, virtuous, right? Mm -hmm. So that really um, continued on. And I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to give like a Short, truncated, oh,
1: <laughs> yeah. because it's so long.
3: And no, you're, doing, you're, <laughs> and so, doing, you're doing great. And so that right. can keep on. Thank and you. around that same time, that's when we start having like the eugenics movement, right? So the forced sterilization of people who were considered undesirable or unfit to reproduce. And so during that time, if you were a person of color, particularly, um, Black and Latino women in this country, those who suffer from mental illness, those who had, quote unquote, VD. Um, a lot of times they would go in and if they already had a child or during or after childbirth, they will sterilize them or they would get their parents to sign off to have them um, sterilized un- unknowingly. Right. So they'll take their child to the doctor. And they'll say, oh, they have um, appendicitis or, oh, they have a mass. And what they will actually end up doing is performing hysterectomies on um, these women, right? Because they were trying to limit their reproductive capabilities. So you had a lot of um, that going on. And um, I talk about this to say because you have um, a lot of distrust in the Black community around Planned Parenthood. Mm -hmm. and part of that was because margaret sanger really um she was a part of the eugenics movement also and there was a big push for the contraception um there's a big push of providing contraception to black women which was of course we wanted those contraceptive options because in the u.s contraception used to be illegal right it was something that no person could um access however um when we started thinking about contraception and people's ideas about it and who should actually have contraception, and then looking at poor women and also poor Black women, a lot of those efforts were pushed towards those communities. And then the idea of saying, well, let's take that a step further if we want to have a upstanding society with good citizens without those people who have mental illness or other diseases that make them unfit, we should sterilize them also. So you had that movement that was wow. going on. I think it was outlawed, and I think in the 70s. So... Wait, this was like... So was this the eugenics movement started, I was around like the 20s and the 30s, and it lasted until like the 1970s. I think North Carolina was like one of the last states. California was like one of the last states to, um, Jesus. to really um, acknowledge it and outlaw it because it was a legal practice. It wasn't something that, you know, was illegal. It was something that was known. It was something um, that was being done. So at the time they called it the Mississippi appendectomy um, because the famous civil rights leader, Fannie Lou Hamer, she um, received um, hysterectomy um, unbeknownst to her. So you had a lot of people who went through and had their uh, reproductive capabilities taken from them, and they didn't know.
1: Yes, women still alive today. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. So them yeah. Themselves. So you have yeah. grandmothers who have. Yeah.
1: This is not. This is not like an ancient history thing. This is a modern. So yeah, this is yeah, this is this, is, this
3: is happened happening. Yeah, you have the um, the survivors of this. They're still they're still living till today. And a lot of them did not find out until they tried to um, have another child. So especially if you're like a teenage mother and you were poor and you were a black mother during that time, you could have gotten um, a hysterectomy. So they didn't know until they, okay they tried to have another child and they could not. And they didn't understand why Or some who could not ever have kids and didn't understand why. until they went to the doctor and they realized you don't have a uterus. That's why you cannot have a child because they removed those um, reproductive organs. And so it really was an effort to control the population and control the quote-unquote undesirables. And so when we started, let's light it up a little bit. (laughs) I'm looking at our faces. We're
2: so looking at our faces. Yeah, way (laughs) to read the room so much.
1: (laughs) Oh, goodness. I was like, oh, goodness. And so I really appreciate everything you're saying, (laughs) and it needs to be said. And it needs to be so no, seriously. These just the of being shared. I am, I am on a regular basis blown away by my own ignorance, repeatedly, especially recently. And I am totally open. Yeah,
3: yeah. It's, yeah, it's just a lot of stuff educated. that. Well, I like to call these things like open secrets. So it's it's like these things happen, but a blind eye was turned to them for so long because it was normalized, right?
1: Yeah, it was. No, I had wait. Let's be honest. Yeah, so it's like it was
3: it was something so that was um, normalized, and especially when we think about um, teaching sex ed at the time, there was no comprehensive sex education, right? So there was no saying, okay, right. this is how one gets pregnant, and so this is how you prevent pregnancy. There was no okay, right. yeah, let's use condoms. Or the pill didn't right. come along until the sixties. None of that you know, was taking place. And then when it started, a lot of times sex education started in urban areas. So when we think about a lot of what was happening as far as eugenics go, it took place a lot of times in the rural South. And it took place also in California and places where you didn't have access, right, to education and appropriate um, medical care, right? And so, of course, we don't have I'm not going to, well, we can, we can debate whether or not we have eugenics now, um, because, um, what has been going on in like the recent past with, um, female, um, prisoners and those, you know, sterilization of those, um, women who are in jail, but, um, you yeah, we don't have it as widespread mandated, federally back mandated programs. Right. So, um, we don't have it right. like that. Right. However. When we started, we didn't see the quote unquote modern sex education that we see now until the 60s and the 70s. And even then, sex ed was still disease prevention and pregnancy prevention. There was no yeah, pleasure. Right.
1: I mean, that, that's what it was. That's what it was when I did it.
3: We're not going to talk about pleasure. We're not going to talk about gender. We're not going to yeah. talk about any of those other things. And that, like I got to tell people, Really, sex ed was about the mechanics of sex and what not to do. So, yeah. okay, you put a penis in a vagina. This is how you do it. And you put that penis in a <laughs> yeah. vagina. You can. You're going to get HIV yeah. and die, or you're going to have a baby that you don't want. Right? No, that's really. Yeah, <laughs> and and your,
2: your life will be running.
0: Wrong.
1: Yeah, I'm not. No, honestly, that, that's like, I know I'm laughing, right. but that's honestly kind of what I would have yeah. left so my so sex education as a child. <laughs> like, you're either going to STD yeah. or you're going to get pregnant. And or you're going to yeah.
2: die. Like, but it makes a lot of sense that that was the information that we received if sex education only really started in the 60s and 70s because those were like our parents who are information yes. on the information that mm-hmm. they had. Yeah. It yeah, So we eye-opening. Have- Thank you. well and
1: it, and, it, and it takes it takes innovators like you to shift yeah so it's really
3: about it's about unlearning a lot of things right so um even in learning yeah. about um like I said I try to shift away a lot of time from disease prevention and pregnancy, you know unattended pregnancy but there was still there's still a lot of um, misconceptions around that because even the way birth control is marketed to different populations right and contraception is marketed so um yeah. we find we were finding that so long acting reversible contraception so things like the IUD in the shot um and even the um the implant and sterilization was getting marketed more heavily toward poor women black and brown women as opposed to white women right so you had that you had um in Baltimore a good I know how to say I know in Baltimore in Baltimore in the early nineties they were giving um Young black middle school and high school girls to implant with really without their permission. So they were implanting them with the time it was the um, Implanon, I think was it Implanon? What, the implanton. Was next? I keep getting. So I know the it's, cop, the five, the no, crop, it's the five. No, it's the five rods. Which one's five rod? Okay, the next plan, I think.
0: Oh, oh, oh. Yes. Yeah,
3: so yeah, they were. I know, I know. Um, yeah, so they were. Yeah, they yeah, really were yeah. giving these young girls um, the implants. As a way to lower teen birth rates in the city, but their parents really weren't informed or there really wasn't a lot of informed consent around what these um, girls were getting. And there were even some ways that they can bypass um, parental consent. So you have these girls who got these implants. And the thing about it is. The reason why the five rods aren't moved anymore, uh, aren't used anymore, because they were kind of difficult to remove. They start, you know, so they moved on to another generation. So when the women were going back to try to get them removed, they were having trouble getting them removed. Right. So so they were um, offering um, these young girls the implant as, of course, a form of birth control, but also trying to curb teenage pregnancy rates in the city. Um, However, their parents weren't fully informed about the process and what this implant was supposed to do. Um, And so they also, in some cases, were able to bypass parental consent. And so, yes. Um, And so you have these girls getting this implant and not fully understanding their rights or fully understanding what this implant is and how long it actually lasts. Right. Right. And so um, when it came time to remove them, there was some trouble um, removing them. You had to find the right doctor to go in and remove them. And even the implant is not something for everybody because some people have um, keloid skin. So you're making those scars and it can be difficult to remove and things like that. Mm -hmm. So you have a lot of people who have some um, mistrust or distrust around. Um, the implants, even sometimes around IUDs, because of how IUDs were tested and marketed, and um, so you just have all like all this mistrust when it comes yeah. to um, sex ed and sexual health, and it continues um, till today. And I, I kind of use my platform to really talk about those things. Like I said, even though I try to get away from not, well, sexual health is always my thing. Um, that's what I do. But um, yeah. I try to be expansive, but also addressing those concerns. Because what I found there were, um, when I first started, even when I was um, in my master's program, you had young women and femmes who had had babies but really didn't know how they got pregnant now what I mean by that so you have um, I, mm-hmm. I I was talking and having conversations with some people and they're like well how did I get pregnant and I just got off my period and I knew right then and there it's like okay we there's a basic misunderstanding of how menstrual cycles work right So you yeah. had yeah. some people who didn't or a lot of people who didn't know that your menstrual cycle, begins on the first day of your period, not the day after it ends. So what happened was you had a lot of people who were having sex after it ended, but they were going into that fertile period when they're about to ovulate and then they got pregnant. Right?
1: And yeah, you're like super yeah. ready to ovulate. Yeah but, <laughs> yeah,
3: but that was a common <laughs> misunderstanding. I've heard mm. that so many times. I was like, oh, okay. So we have to take it back to the basics. Even though we are adults, A lot of times, adults don't know these things because we didn't have the opportunity to really ask questions or just basic questions. I remember a young gentleman saying, "Oh, yeah, when a girl is giving you head, don't let her swallow anything because you can get her pregnant." I was like, "Okay, well, we have a fundamental uh, misunderstanding." <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, and, and that okay. doesn't happen, people. Just yeah. so you know that's so, not gonna happen.
3: Yeah, but, to so you. it was so that let me know. It's like, okay, so it's not only kids who need this, but adults, because adults have kids and then they pass the information on to their yeah. kids and and it's you have all like this, this big ball of confusion. So yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and
1: that's and that's why that's why we wanted to bring you on the show, honestly, because you're Like Not only... Your unwavering stand is backed by a substantial amount of serious education. You're you're so highly intelligent and your commitment is there. And that makes you such a rare individual who is willing to have this conversation in such a profound way. And I know you're making a difference. We already... I mean, obviously, you're already making a difference for thousands of people. You've educated us tonight. And these are the stories that need to be told (coughs) so that we can move... Forward mm-hmm. together.
3: Yeah. It's and great.
1: you're and you are such a leader in this conversation and you're such an incredible human being. Thank you. And just mm-hmm thank you for everything mm-hmm. that you're doing like honestly from the bottom mm-hmm. of our hearts honestly
2: mm-hmm. we have a, a CLIT acronym that we're pushing right now okay. in redefining the word CLIT and it's creators leaders innovators and teachers and you are all four of those oh, things. thank you you're thank all of them you. So thank you for being
3: you're <laughs> all four I like that acronym yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, not, I'm <laughs> never good with acronyms yeah. so I'm like how <laughs> did they come up with that <laughs>
0: No it was sugar actually it came to sugar in a dream it came to me it just came to me no pun intended and and instead of saying like oh what's up badass bitch we should say what's up badass clit what's up clits because you're a creator
1: leader innovator and teacher that like is, since one was clit a bad word it is not it's <laughs> you know? not a
3: bad word and so yeah, that's one thing a lot of people don't understand about the clit either so it's a lot of Education yeah. or how big it is. That's one thing that we don't talk about, how big the clit actually is. So, which is pretty big. So, yeah. It is. <laughs> we
1: believe, we believe in big clits here at Clip Talk. <laughs> um, but 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 really, really and truly, this is one of the most profound episodes we've ever done, honestly. Your the knowledge that you've brought the Um, transparency that you've brought, the dedication and the transformation that you've brought to this conversation does not go unnoticed. You are an incredible human being. We commend you and anything we can do to ever support you in this conversation, we are your allies and your partners. And we really thank you for taking your time to be with us here tonight. <laughs> Even three hours later for your time. It's like the middle of the night for you. Like that's just that's just who you are as a person. So
3: No problem, you. no problem. It was fun. It was
0: fun. <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> um, and for our listeners who are listening, who are now also in love with you, <laughs> what is the best way for them to get in touch with you? How can they support you? How can they be in this conversation okay. with you?
3: So um, they can always follow me on Instagram um, at the Sensible Sexpert. Um, I post things, you know. There, of course, in the year I'm trying to plan for 2021, so trying to do that stuff also. But um, also, can reach out to me um, on my website, theSensibleSexpert.com. Um, Next year, I will actually be um, launching a podcast. So I might have you all on, which would be great. Oh, um, absolutely.
0: I'd yeah. <laughs> love to. So yes, um, <laughs> okay. Sensible
3: Sex with Dr. Wadasha. So I'll be launching um, that. And it's going to be Amazing. Um, topics of every kind. Um, so it's not just sexual health, though. It's going to be, we're going to be expansive. So I have a list of um, topics that my um my audience—they want to delve into. So yes. Well, we can tell it, We
1: can tell you about the time that Katie got pregnant at a sex party. That's my oh,
3: like. Okay. That's, well, I, I, that is an interesting <laughs> story. Okay. What? Uh, <laughs> wow.
2: <laughs> it was with her husband. It was With her husband, and, and <laughs> we were trying, See? and it's the only sex party I've ever been okay. to. Okay.
3: Well, it worked. It worked. It, it could possibly be something right. that couples can try. So it takes right. the back, you know, it takes the pressure off exactly. of it. You know, when you're trying to, be, yeah, okay. you will. Yeah. So, so that's going to be lunch. It's so funny. So speaking of babies, so I'm going to be trying to launch it before. Cause I'm, um, I'm actually about to have my second baby in April. So, <gasps> oh, yeah. <congratulations. laughs> so yeah, I was on five months. So yeah. So I'm trying to do Amazing all this work.
0: Well, <laughs> wow. I think?
1: Well, anything we can do to support you in your podcast. Obviously, we love podcasts here at Clit Talk. Um, and we love you. And we just really appreciate it. Clitorati, please help support this woman in, in her dedication and the difference she's making in this world because she is a creator, le- leader, innovator, and a teacher. And um, with that, Clitorati, we are going to see you next Tuesday. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Clit Talk. Be sure to visit clittalkshow.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic bonus content. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram,
0: at clittalkshow, for your clit fix in between episodes.